DiscerningHearts.com presents Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese and her family with Father Timothy Gallagher. This podcast is an audio taken from a Discerning Hearts retreat conducted by Father Timothy Gallagher, which features the lives of St. Therese of Lisieux, Saints Louis and Zelle Martin, Servant of God Leone Martin, and the entire Martin family. The video taken at this retreat can be found in this episode post on discerninghearts.com, or you can find it on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. We now begin Conference 6. Well, let's start again with prayer. Let's say the prayer to Saints Louis and Celie Martin. Saints Louis and Celie Martin, after having had the desire for a religious life, you heard the Lord's call to the vocation of marriage. You are the parents without equal. Your daughter, St. Therese of the Child Jesus Speaks, the fortunate parents of Leonie, the servant of God, Sister Francoise Therese, of Marie, Pauline, and Celine, transplanted, and of the four children taken from your affection in their youth, Helene, Joseph, Jean-Baptiste, Melanie Therese. You gave all glory to God through your humble and patient work, your commitment to the poor, and your family life, where reigned the happiness of loving and being loved. You lived your daily life concretely through the joys, sorrows of your existence. You love us as your own children, with the heart of a father and of the heart of a mother, because you are friends of the Lord. Listen to our prayer and our requests, and intercede for us with God the Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, in the grace of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to do a bit more with Zelie, and my hope is that we can do at least a brief look at Therese and Leonie tomorrow morning. This is January 16th, and Zelie is writing to Pauline. Now, the background here is that Marie has had wealthy classmates at the visitation, and she has visited some of their homes, and they're wealthy, they're sumptuous, much more than the Martin family home. And so she's dreaming of having a house like this. And then Zelie comments, As for me, I imagine that if I were in a magnificent chateau, surrounded by everything one could wish for on earth, the emptiness would be bigger than if I were alone in a little attic room, forgetting the world and being forgotten. That language sounds a bit like Therese, you know, who wants to be hidden. So I do nothing but dream of the cloister and solitude. This, uh, to my mind, calls to mind the Curie of ours, St. John Vianney, who spends 41 years as the pastor of this small country parish, but an explosion of pilgrims come. At the height of it, it was well over 100,000 people during the year. People would wait three days in line to go to confession. He had these crushing days of 16 hours of hearing confessions. I once heard five hours. And I know how tiring that was, five in a row. 16 is unimaginable. And then, of course, everything else. And there was a dream in his heart throughout all of that time to just leave it all and go to the monastery and be able to pray. 
I think you might be catching a little bit of that in Celie with these very packed, intense days. It's a little different than Gianviani because she always had a certain uh, leaning in that way. But watch what she says now about this dream. With the ideas I have, I don't really know how this wasn't my vocation or how I didn't remain a spinster or retreat into a convent. Now I'd like to live to be very old so I can withdraw in solitude when all my children are grown. But I feel that all these are only empty ideas, so I hardly pay attention to them. It's better to use the present time well than to think so much about the future. Three weeks later to her sister-in-law, Celine. Now speaking of her daughter, Celine, Celine is always sick. I'm very happy Marie, because she, Marie has finished at the visitation and is home now, that Marie is here to give her lessons because it would be impossible to send her to boarding school. In fact, Celine never does go to the visitation in Le Mans. And the reason for it is that Celine just doesn't believe that she has the health that she would need. Later, when they move to Lisieux, she does, as a day student, does go to the Benedictine sisters to study, but not as a boarder, though. She would never be a boarder the way the older two were. Sometimes her big sister becomes discouraged, saying, what good does it do to teach her if she has to die? Marie has seen this happen four times. But since we don't know the future, we can't, and actually, Celine, as I mentioned, would live to be 90 years old. But since we don't know much about the future, we can't leave her without an education while making sure we don't tire her too much. They say that children in their seventh year change their constitution. And since she'll soon reach that age, I hope she'll do better. I wonder about that. I don't know if the parents here or those with medical knowledge could say something about that. Well, we live only to have torments of every kind, she says. I still have another worry that makes me suffer very much, and that is my poor business. So this is, again, the ups and downs of her business, which isn't doing well. I'm sure you're going to laugh and say, so much the better, because I've worked enough. Remember how she says Marie curses the lace? would rather live in an attic with nothing than have to go through what she sees her mother going through. You're right. I too would say the same thing, but there's something else that stops me. It's not the desire to amass a great fortune that drives me. And I think the choice of her verb there is instructive because she is driven. But what drives her is not that she just wants to get rich and have a lot of money because I have more than I ever wanted. But I think it would be foolish of me to leave this business having five children to provide for. That's the key. I must go all the way for them. And I see myself in a dilemma. I have workers and I have no work to give them while other companies are doing very well. And look at this. That's what distresses me the most, that she can't give work to her workers who, who need it. You never hear her moaning and wishing people would pay more attention to me and all that sort of thing, which she could have well done because she went through an awful lot. But there's that. And I've noticed as I've gone through these, how often she uses the word resigned. We need to be resigned. If God wants it, we need to be resigned to it. I'll, I'll do my best to resign myself. But again, it's, it's other centered in an amazing way. Poor Marie is very unhappy over it. She curses the Alençon lace and declares that she would prefer to live in an attic rather than make her fortune at the same price I've paid. I don't think she's wrong. If I were alone and had to endure all over again what I've suffered these last 24 years since she started the business, I would prefer to die of hunger because just the thought of it makes me tremble. I often tell myself that if I had done half of this to win heaven, I would be a canonized saint. 
And imagine reading that today. And when she when when she is a canonized saint, you know, there's a kind of a flip there that in a in a very a wonderful way. I also think of my brother, and if he's enduring the same troubles as I am for his business, I feel sorry for him with all my heart, because I know from experience what he's going through. And I want to just highlight two phrases from this letter, which really, I think, typify everything in Zaylee. I must go all the way for them. And she did, to the very last breath that she had. And she says, with all my heart, and that too is Zaylee, everything is done with all my heart, with all the love, the attention that I can give. Those two phrases in some way describe Zaylee. Now to her daughter Pauline, this is seven weeks later, and here are legal problems. And this is, if any of us have been through this, I included this because this is part of a letter just so that we see this too. My dear Pauline, we've had a little disaster happen to us that I'm going to tell you about. Now, this happens, they're no longer living above the, the watch and jewelry shop. We've seen that photo a number of times. What happens is that when Zelie's father dies, he leaves the house in which he's been living to Zelie. And that's obvious because the oldest sister is in the, the monastery and the, the younger brother is not even in Alonson, but he's established in Lisieux. And Zelie and her family are there. So it makes obvious sense to leave it to her. But this is, and this is where Therese is born and where she lives these first uh, four years of her life. She's the only one of the children that is born there. The others have all been born before they move. And it's also the time when they make the move, that's when Louis sells his watchmaking and jewelry business to a nephew of his and then dedicates himself full-time to helping his wife with her business. And I may have said before, this is the pattern always in Louis. He will give up everything for the sake of his family. In this case, his business, which he loves and at which he does so well, for the sake of his wife, who is so overworked. At her death, he will give up Alençon and his friends and the pavilion and a whole life that he's built for himself, including even being close to his mother, for the sake of his five daughters who need now a mother who will be Zelie's sister-in-law. And then, of course, he gives up one daughter after another to religious life. This is a man, and finally his health. This is a man who gave everything. And it was always for others. Back to the legal issues here, from the sublime to the less sublime, I suppose. But this is the writings of a saint. Do you know what I often think about Zelie? We say very easily, and we understand it to a degree, that sanctity does not consist in doing extraordinary things, but we can all complete the phrase, doing ordinary things in an extraordinary way. That's what you see in all of these letters. These are all ordinary things, but they are done with a love that is not ordinary and a faith. So your father received a letter from Monsieur M, who is building very close to our garden and digging a cesspool. This seemed like a pretty difficult neighbor. He picked a quarrel, and your father made every concession to make peace. So he tries, and Louis just, okay, fine, just uh, to keep peace. Finally, the neighbor made his hole so close to the wall that it collapsed. The other day, about 8 o'clock in the evening, we heard a terrible crash, and it was the wall falling down. The next morning, Monsieur M. saw this disaster and got very angry, claiming that we had to pay half the costs for rebuilding the wall when the accident was due to his carelessness. 
He had a summons sent from the Justice of the Peace, and last Friday, your father appeared there. He explained the matter so well that everyone, including the judge, was indignant about our neighbor. But he can make us bear all the costs since the law is on his side because our walls are a few centimeters short of the required thickness. We asked for an expert who's coming tomorrow at nine o'clock. He already paid us a visit this morning. He confided to us that we weren't in good hands because this Monsieur M knows legal quibbling like no one else and is going to make us eat more than the costs of rebuilding the wall. That's where we are, and I don't know when it will be over. How does uh, Zaley respond to this? I'm not too concerned about it. We can only accept disputes with patience since we must suffer on this earth. If this can spare us, look at this, if this can spare us a little time in purgatory, we'll bless Monsieur M in the other world for having made us spend a part of it in this life. And then note the next sentence. But I prefer that he be the one who does us these wrongs rather than if we had to blame ourselves for creating a quarter of them for him. I'll tell you next time how it turns out. But in fact, in the next letter that we have, uh, she doesn't mention this. And so we don't know how the story turned out from, from the letters. The next is two and a half months later to Pauline. Oh, and this is another thing. So we're going to see this in two installments. It's been a long time since my letter was interrupted, so I'm only giving part of the letter here. It's much longer. Since then, I've been to high mass. So she had started the letter. She goes off to mass. Then we went for a long walk on a long walk in the field. So this would appear to be a Sunday. And it was a Sunday afternoon practice for them. They were close to the country. They would just go out walking together. What if families were doing that, you know? Just reminds me that uh, my dad would do that occasionally with us. We'd find some place, uh, a stream going up into the hills, um, and we'd just kind of spend an afternoon walking up there or something like that. Those, those are really nice things. And this was their regular practice. We picked beautiful bouquets for the month of Mary, and we were very happy with this outing. On our way back, we met a poor old man who had a good face. I sent Therese. So Therese at this point is not yet four. She's three years and a few months. I sent Therese to bring him a few alms. He seemed so touched by this and thanked us so much that I saw he was very unfortunate. I told him to follow us and that I was going to give him some shoes. He came and we served him a good dinner. He was dying of hunger. I couldn't tell you how many troubles he was suffering from in his old age. This winter he had frostbitten feet. He sleeps in an abandoned hovel and has nothing. He's going to huddle outside the barracks. They had barracks of soldiers in Alençon to be given a little soup. Finally, I told him to come whenever he wants, and I'll give him bread. I would like your father to arrange for him to enter the hospice. He wants to go there so much. We're going to negotiate the matter. I'm very sad over this encounter, and I do nothing but think about this fellow, who nevertheless was delighted by the few pennies I gave him. With this, he said, I'll eat soup tomorrow. I'll go to the soup kitchen, and then I'll have some tobacco and get a shave. In a word, he was as cheerful as a child. So said, you know, nicely, and she'll say it a little more explicitly in another letter. He was obviously, there were mental disabilities, you know, in this man. And so he's homeless. And nobody's caring for him at all. In a word, he was as cheerful as a child. 
While he was eating, he would pick up his shoes, look at them happily, and smile at them. Then he recited a beautiful prayer for us that he always says at Mass. I will be coming back to this man. So this is Celie to her brother Isidore, and this is six months later. And now uh, their older sister Elise is, is getting quite ill. It's been two weeks since I received a letter from my sister, as well as the superior of the visitation monastery. They asked me not to send Pauline back to school because of the prospect of her aunt's imminent death. And since Pauline is very sensitive, they wanted to spare her this pain. In fact, Elise would die of tuberculosis, just as eventually Therese would as well. Pauline wrote a letter to her aunt that brought tears to my eyes. Finally, she went back to school. As for me, I'd replied to the superior that if she thought my sister was going to suffer more by Pauline's presence, I'd keep her home. So she goes to Le Mans. I saw my sister Wednesday, and she's very sick, very changed. She can only walk with the help of a cane and the infirmarian who supports her. However, she spent two hours with us on two separate occasions, and even her voice was very strong, much better than I thought it would be. She told us that she's the happiest patient in the world. Her face radiates joy, and she's awaiting the hour of her deliverance with a heavenly peace. I've never seen anything so edifying. I saw the superior of the visitation monastery alone. She told me that the doctor believed our dear patient wouldn't last until the end of the year, but that she'd walk up to the end. She gets up at five o'clock in the morning after a night spent coughing in her bed. Her feet are always swollen, but she still goes downstairs to take her meals with the community. She has a raging fever every day from two o'clock in the afternoon. All the sisters I saw think she doesn't have much longer to live. She's thought of as a true saint within the community, and that's how Zaylee saw her as well. And the nuns told me that their superior cites her as an example. And now to her brother, if you're going to see her, write me before Thursday. If I were you, I wouldn't delay long. Three weeks later, to her sister-in-law, and about her own health at this point. As for being unduly distressed over my bothersome gland, I'm not convinced it's necessary. If God allows that I die from it, I'll try to accept it as best I can and resign myself to my fate to lessen my time in purgatory. That's that resignation, which is acceptance of God's will. But I hope all will be well. I'll make your remedies exactly, probably written by Celine to her, but proposed by her brother Isidore, the pharmacist. I'll make your remedies exactly to put my mind at rest because I don't have great confidence in all that. And then here's this, this is pure Zeli. Please don't worry about me. She has a lot to worry about herself and does worry, but she never wants anyone else to worry about her. In no way am I suffering from the gland and the little shooting pains I thought I felt are completely gone. I think it will be nothing or if it's serious, it will only be much later when it will be time to die. Two weeks later, again referring to the remedies. I'm properly making the remedies you sent me, only when I put the fresh ointment on the area to be treated, it hurts. I feel nothing only when it's dry. It probably must be that way for it to work well. Question. I kiss you with all my heart, your very loving sister. And then the next day to Pauline. 
Since you want me to write to you today, my letter will not be as long as usual. It winds up being quite a long letter. We only have a, an excerpt from it here. Because I have hardly any time being very harried by work and busy in every way. Also, I long for rest. I don't even have the courage to continue the fight. You know, this is one thing that strikes me. This happens very often that people will come to talk, whether it's spiritual direction or a retreat or whatever. As they're sharing what they're going through and the way they're facing it, I find myself just marveling at the courage of this person. And I will say that I really admire the courage with which you're facing this. And every time the person will say, I don't feel very courageous, but the courage is real. And I think we're seeing some of that in uh, Zaylee here. I feel the need for a little quiet reflection to think about my salvation, which the troubles of this world make me neglect. It could have been St. John Vianney writing that same phrase because he would say very similar things. And yet I should remember these words from the imitation of Christ. Why do you seek rest, whereas you are born to labor? We mentioned before that, like her mother, Therese would love this book and would read it so much so that she had it memorized completely, which is an amazing thing. It's a full book. And uh, so much so that when she would go, uh, still as a young girl, to visit her older sisters in the Carmel, the uh, superior and the sisters enjoyed asking her to, they would refer to a certain paragraph in the, in the imitation and ask her to recite it, and which she could do without fail. As the mother liked this book, so did Therese. But when you are too engrossed in your work and no longer have youthful energy, you can't help wishing to be relieved of it, at least in part. Oh, well, I live in this hope. It seems to me, for many reasons, my business is winding down. Nine days later, to her sister-in-law. Today, I received news from Le Mans about her, her older sister. I'm not at all reassured about my sister's health. I think it's still declining, and soon it will be over. This gives me sad thoughts, and it seems to me I'll find myself abandoned. She just can't conceive of not having her sister. I need her and her advice. Well, I have to resign myself. My brother wants me to give him some news about my health. It's very good, and apart from my mood, I'm not suffering at all. I'm certainly not filled with joy. I'm extremely worried, right or wrong. If only I were freed from my business, I would be happy. And then she immediately qualifies this. But no, my poor Leonie would be there preventing me from being completely happy because I fear for her future. What will become of her when we're no longer here? I'm doing my remedies properly. Supposedly, they're necessary to take away this lump, but they take absolutely nothing away. Well, I feel guilty when I miss it, which from now on, I don't want to do anymore, I promise you. And now three weeks later, we're in December. They met this poor man that uh, we just referred to in May. And now we're in December and the same man returns. I already spoke to you about a poor man whom we've known since spring. He was in the most extreme poverty since he didn't have any shelter and slept in a barn with an open work door, which caused him to get frostbite on his fingers and feet. No one took care of him. You wonder about this man's family, you know, just but nobody is caring for him at all. And he asked for nothing and only went to the door of the barracks to have a little soup. He was starving. Your father had noticed him in the doorway of the Hotel de France in such a miserable state and with such a gentle expression 
that he took an interest in him. And now we've seen Zeli do this, the mother with the, the two babies and so forth and reaching out, Armandine. Louis now is going to do the same. As for me, referring to last May, I wanted to know more about him. And while on a walk, I approached the fellow. I brought him home and questioned him. I then discovered that he was childlike and languishing without any help. I asked him to come here every time he needed something, but he never came. Finally, in the beginning of winter, your father met him one Sunday. It was very cold, and he had bare feet and was shivering. Overcome with pity for this unfortunate man, he began to take all kinds of steps to have him enter the hospice. How many steps he took and how many letters he wrote to get a copy of his baptismal certificate and the petitions, exclamation point. But all of this was a waste of time because we discovered the fellow was only 67 years old, three years less than the required age. So in a way, this kind of parallel to Zaley, when she's dealing with Armandine, he's made all the efforts he can and the door is blocked. So what does he do? Does, does he just say resign himself? Nothing more can be done. You know it's not going to go that way. However, your father did not admit defeat. He took this cause to heart and prepared for the assault once again to have him enter the home for the incurables. The poor man has a hernia, but usually they won't take someone in for such a little thing, and I had no hope. Finally, he entered there last Wednesday against all expectations. So Louis is successful in this. Your father went to track him down in his barn Tuesday evening, and the next morning he admitted him, so he accompanies him to the hospice. He saw the old man again today, who cried tears of joy to find himself so perfectly happy. In spite of his weakened mind, he tried hard to thank him and prove his gratitude. So that's what the Martin family, their children, were seeing, you know, as they were growing up. This will be the last letter of Leonie that we'll take. And this is, this is a very important one because this is the letter in which she, for the first time, speaks openly of the illness that she has, recognizing its seriousness and letting the family know this. As we go through it, watch throughout this letter for the other-centered quality of everything that she writes. My dear sister, so it's to her sister-in-law, my heart is pounding, and look at why her heart is pounding. My heart is pounding, thinking of how much I'm going to hurt you. Zeli is the one with the, the cancer, the illness, whose life is you know, so uncertain. And what really concerns her, even to making her heart pound physically, is knowing how this is going to hurt her sister-in-law when she learns of this illness. You know, greater love has no one than that he lay down his life for his friend. I think every letter here illustrates that. And here, literally, it's the laying down of her life. I hesitated a moment whether or not to tell you the entire truth, but I feel I must. I need your advice. Again, medical help through Isidore. I'd made up my mind last Sunday to go find a doctor. I was more worried than I wanted to make known seeing my disease getting worse. If I delayed so long, it was because I was doing my brother's remedy and he didn't advise me to see a doctor. I also knew there was nothing to do except have an operation. And the thought of that makes me tremble. And why? Not because of the suffering, but because I was convinced that from that moment on, I would go to bed and never get up again. 
Finally, upon receiving your letter, I would have gone to find Dr. X. This is a Dr. Prevost, and he's just like other people in the letters. They simply give a letter for him. Uh, we'll just call him Dr. X then, like the letter does. I would have gone to find Dr. X if I hadn't had a shipment of lace to do. So I waited until Friday. My husband, reading your letter, began to become more worried because, again, she's never told Louis of the seriousness of this, not wanting him to suffer. And again, as I mentioned earlier, Therese will do the same when her time uh, comes. But now Louis is, for the first time, beginning to realize there is something quite serious here. Reading your letter began to become more worried. He went to find Monsieur Vital Romé, who is a close friend of his and a pharmacist. Because I was saying I didn't want to see a doctor, Monsieur Vital came and insisted on an operation, naming several ladies whom I knew and who'd pulled through. So for the next weeks, this is going to be an issue. Should she or should she not have a surgery with regard to this um, lump, as she calls it? In the end, I went to see Dr. X, who, after having examined me thoroughly through touch, said to me after a moment of silence, do you know that what you have there is of a very serious nature? It's a fibrous tumor. Would you shrink from an operation? I answered, no, although I'm certain that instead of saving my life, this operation would shorten my days. I added proof to support this, so much so that he continued immediately, you know as much as I do, and all this is the truth and I can't advise you because it's quite uncertain. I asked him if there was a one in a hundred chance, and he answered evasively. And this is the second time that Zelie is grateful to a doctor. The doctors in general really didn't do much to help her, but twice, once when the doctor insisted that urgently Therese be breastfed, which saved her life, and this time when a doctor, however unfeelingly, at least tells her the truth of her situation so that she can begin to grapple with it. And she'll say in later letters that for that, at least she's grateful to him. I'm very grateful to him for his frankness because I'm going to hurry to put my affairs in order so as not to leave my family in an awkward position. It is completely family-centered, other-centered. He offered me a prescription. I said to him, what will it do? He looked at me and replied, nothing. It's to make the patients happy. I couldn't help myself from telling my family everything. I regret it now because there was a grief-filled scene. Everyone was crying. Poor Leonie was sobbing. I named so many people. Now, now watch how she's the one who encourages the family. I've seen other mothers do things like this. and It's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing when you see it. But I named so many people who'd lived 10 or 15 years like this and I didn't seem very upset, doing my work as cheerfully as always, perhaps more so that I calmed everyone down. And yet, I'm quite far from deluding myself. She knows the seriousness of it. And I have trouble falling asleep at night when I think about the future, and here it is again. However, I'm resigning myself as best I can. If this is your will, Lord, as best I can, I'll say yes to it. But I was far from expecting such a test. And now her sister, who is, where are we here, December, her sister has two months more to live. Uh, my sister is very happy to die. 
She'll know nothing of these sad affairs because I don't want to poison her last days. In fact, Celie never said anything to Elise about her condition so that her older sister would never had to worry about it. I won't say anything more to Pauline. If she knew, she wouldn't be able to return to boarding school. Knowing her as I do, that would hurt her more than seeing me. If you have any advice to give me about the operation, please write me this week because Pauline arrives Wednesday and I don't want her to see your letter. And now she looks at the members of the family. My husband is inconsolable. He's given up the pleasure of fishing, which says everything, and put his lines up in the attic. He doesn't want to go to the Vital Circle anymore. It's as if he's shattered. That same night, he went to find Monsieur Vital to give him an account of the consultation. And Monsieur Vital still says the operation is very necessary. Please give me your advice. I'm not suffering a lot. There's a numbness along the whole side to just under the arm and a dull pain on the right side of the lump. I can't lie down on that side anymore. I would like that this not worry you too much and that you, you also resign yourself to the will of God. That she can write like this, a sign of the depth of the love between these two women. That she knows how deeply Celine Geren will take to heart anything that touches her at Celine. If he found me useful on earth, certainly he wouldn't permit me to have this illness because I've prayed so much that he not take me from this world as long as I'm necessary to my children. Marie is now grown up. She's uh, 16, perhaps 17 at this point, which is a mature age in the culture of the day. She has a very, very serious nature and no youthful illusions. I'm sure that when I'm no longer here, she'll make a good mistress of the house, which she did, and do everything possible to raise her little sisters well and set a good example for them so that Marie becomes the lady of the house uh, after the death of her mother. We'll return to Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese and her family with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese and her family with Father Timothy Gallagher.
Pauline is also charming, but Marie has more experience. And moreover, she has a lot of influence over her little sisters. Celine shows the best tendencies, and this one will be a very pious child. It's quite rare at her age to show such an inclination toward piety. Therese is a true little angel. As for Leonie, only God can change her, and I'm convinced he will. In fact, we are at this point just about a little over, a little, a little more than two months from the moment that will dramatically change Leonie's life. Not end all of her struggles, but it will be the, the end of the inability of Zelie to win her heart. And that was, as we've already said, I, I believe, through the doings of, the, of Louise, the, the maid. And uh, Zelie will always understand that that change in Leonie, which happens about two weeks after the death of her sister, is due to her sister's intercession in heaven for Leonie. So that not only was it the novena that Elise prays when Leonie is 18 months, that as she sees, saves her life, but the emotional change that will take place in Leonie that takes place just two weeks after Elise dies, she also sees very much as due to the intercession of her sister. And Leonie understood that in the same way. I hope to go and see you once more. She would go once more. And if I notice that the illness is progressing too much, I'll go before the vacation. So we're in December, I think, here. And the vacation is still a ways off the summer months, yeah. If Pauline were here, I would have taken her and Marie to stay with you. And I would have left them with you several weeks in fear that it may not be possible this summer. And here is where she begins to ask Celine to be the next mother for her children. They'll be very happy to have you when I'm no longer here. You'll help them by your good advice. And if they have the misfortune of losing their father, you'll take them into your home, won't you? And that's what happened. Uh, by, by that time, when uh, Louis dies, two of the sisters, three of the sisters are already in the Carmel. And uh, Leonie and Celine, actually in their father's last year, they are taken into, they have a separate house, but they're taken into the family of the Gerens. And then Celine enters and Leonie lives with, the, with her aunt and uncle until the time comes when she definitively enters the um, visitation. It consoles me a lot to think that I have such a good family and that there'll be good replacements for us in case of misfortune. There are poor mothers much more unfortunate than I who don't know what will become of their children and who leave them in need without any help. As for me, I have nothing to fear in that respect. And then look at this. In short, I don't look at the dark side of things. It's a great grace that God has given me. It would be a very interesting thing to trace through all of these letters the way that Zelie responds to suffering. And I think what we'd see is a trajectory of growth. She grows stronger as she goes through one trial after another. And now when she's facing the supreme trial, she can just say this, I don't look at the dark side of things, and it is a great grace that God is giving her. Interruptions, and now she comes back to complete the letter. Since I wrote you the above lines, quite a lot of time has passed. I was waiting to send my letter until I received the one that arrived today from Le Mans, and which I'm enclosing in mind, probably about her sister. Don't worry about me at all. I'm hardly sick at the moment. It's a little thing, and if I didn't see the lump, I would think it's nothing. 
I have a corn on my foot that hurts me much more, and I don't have to see it to feel it. Be that as it may, let's make the most of the time that's left to us and not worry. That would be another interesting thing. You know, the, the worry that you see throughout all these letters in um, Zelie, I suspect what we'd see again that that diminishes uh, as the years go by and as she goes through one thing after another. Besides, it will still only be what God wants. If the illness gets worse, I'll go on some pilgrimage. She does go to Lourdes. If I'd listened to Louis, I think we would have been to Lourdes already, but it's not urgent. I would wish for a moment to go spend a day with you, and you'd see that I look well. My appetite is good, and I'm very cheerful. It's true that I'm not sad. While waiting to hear from you, I hug you with all my heart. This letter is written in December, I think, of 1876. In February, her sister dies uh, a saintly death. And then you have the progression of the breast cancer over the ensuing months uh, through into the summer. And finally, on August 26th, Zelie receives the last rites with all of her family around her. The following day, August 27th, Isidore and Celine arrive. And uh, this is the, the day when Zelie is no longer able to speak but she has that long look. She simply looks deeply into the eyes of Celine. And Celine will describe this later to Therese. I understood what she was saying. Be the mother now for my children. And she did take that very seriously. And as I've said, that's why the family moved to Lisieux. And then the following day, August 28th, at 1230 in the morning, Celie dies, 46 years of age. And the following day, the funeral and the burial takes place in that same church we've seen, the Cathedral of Notre Dame, where they were married so many years earlier. Later, once uh, Therese's cause became so widespread, the remains of the family members were transferred all to Lisieux, and so they're there now. All right, let's just listen to the, the daughters speak about these final days of their mother and reflecting on her life. So this is Celine, and it's many years later now, in 1954. It was the evening of August 26th, or the following morning, before the arrival of Monsieur and Madame Guerin, that she received the last sacraments. Therese alone mentions it, quote, The ceremony of extreme unction made a deep impression on me. Celine continues, It also left a lasting impression on my soul. We were all kneeling beside her bed in order of age with Therese beside me. Our poor father could not restrain his grief. As for our mother, she remained calm and self-possessed. She was to die thus in a truly saintly way, giving us to the very end the example of complete self-forgetfulness, which is pure zelie, and a most lively faith. It was on Tuesday, August 28, 1877, Half an hour after midnight that our admirable mother was taken from us. She was only 45 years and eight months old. This is Marie. During the course of the day of her death, I often went close to the body of my dear mother. I never tired of looking at her. She seemed to be but 20 years old. I thought that she was beautiful. I felt a supernatural impression as I stood beside her. It struck me, which was quite true, that she was not dead, but more alive than ever. Again, Céline. As for myself, I questioned Pauline a few days afterwards about Mama's death. 
In particular, I asked her if she herself had not received some sign from heaven of mother's happiness. She told me that in a dream, she had seen an angel riding on a stretch of sand, shining with light. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. How often in the course of the years, our father spoke to us of our saintly mother, and that was the adjective he would use. He always referred to her with that adjective, which was so expressive of his thoughts. Even several years after the event, he wrote in a letter to a friend of his youth, in a recent letter, I mentioned my five daughters, but I forgot to tell you that I also have four other children who are with their saintly mother in heaven, where we hope one day to join them. And again, Celine, I have myself often regretted that I had not been able to appreciate my mother for a longer time. So she was eight years old when her mother died, but she was spoken of so often among us that she continued to live as it were in our midst. We felt that she was watching over us and had not left us. In Carmel, Mother Agnes of Jesus, that's Pauline, and Sister Marie of the Sacred Heart, that's Marie, recalled her memory with deep feeling. They stressed particularly her invincible confidence and her abandonment to divine providence. They declared that she was never known to fail in these virtues, nor in a heroic fidelity to the duties of her state of life. In a word, always active, always devoted, constantly smiling. Our mother never appeared to be doing anything extraordinary, but with remarkable simplicity and humility, she tirelessly spent herself for others and lived always for the good God. In listening to these eulogies to her sisters and recalling what I had seen myself, I have often said to myself, that our Therese inherited those fundamental dispositions that were to make her the apostle of the little way. And I think that what we've seen in these days verifies that amply. I've spoken uh, many times of Bishop Guy Gaucher, so there's the spelling. I'd just like to go through together with you a paragraph in which he gives his impression of Zélie. Celie's spontaneity. So I, I'm going to break up the sentences. Spontaneity, can you see in the letters, there's nothing studied about these letters or artificial or written and rewritten and rewritten. It, it is, they're all very spontaneous. It's just sharing her heart. And the way she wrote, I'm sure, was the way she lived. Celie's spontaneity was expressed throughout her correspondence, as we've seen, as well as her liveliness touched by humor. And I think we've seen that too very alive, a woman who is completely alive. And you see that edge of humor that comes in here and there in a way that's really kind of charming. A sound common sense that we see throughout. By its origins, one could describe as down to earth. If Celie was anything, she was down to earth. Shows that she had her feet firmly planted on the ground and that she had a deep, selfless, sisterly affection yeah, such a warm heart, loving heart, that was not afraid of expressing reproaches and advice. The reproaches would be her brother in those earlier years. She exhibited a strong courage throughout her life, and that absolutely is Celine. the courage with which she faced so much in her life, including, as he says here, and these are signs of her courage, in her exhausting work as a lace maker, and especially during her terrible illness. She went to the limits of her strength, and that's absolutely Zaylee. She went to the limits of her strength in her role of wife, 
mother, and educator. Her love expressing itself in a thousand subtle ways, sending food to her brothers studying in Paris, taking the children out for walks, getting the Christmas, whatever. Uh, and the various ways in which her love expresses itself, worry about her family's health, pride in the qualities of her children, heart-wrenching pain in the loss of four of them, and continuous desire for their sanctity. She knew in many little ways how to develop her daughter's emotional lives, especially by her vigilant love, which is a beautiful description of Zelie. Zelie dies. The next question is, what's the family going to do at this point? Here is this man with five daughters. What's the next step? And people suggest a number of things. Some of them suggest that he should send them to boarding schools where they'd be educated and, and cared for well. Uh, his friends and many of them uh, firmly advise him to stay in Alençon for obvious reasons. That's where he's established. That's where his family in this case, now his mother. That's where everything is. But Isidore strongly encourages the family to move to Lisieux because Celine there will be a mother for these five daughters. And this, as I said earlier, is another one of these moments in which Louis, at great cost to himself, really at this point gives up everything except his daughters, and for the sake of his daughters, moves the family to Lisieux. And before they can get there, uh, Isidore sets out looking for a proper house for him, and he finds this one, which the daughters, when they see it, nickname Les Buissonnets, which means the little bushes, because it's surrounded by, by bushes. So as young girls, they give it that name, and it still has that name today, Les Buissonnets. The girls are now in Lisieux, with probably still with their aunt and uncle, because their father has to remain at least a bit in Alençon to tie up all the loose ends. So uh, let's just read this letter by Louis. So this is written 25th of November, and his wife has died on the 28th of August. So this is what, two months later? Three months later. Dear girls, and he's writing from Alençon. Today, Sunday, is the day when I am least busy. I am hurrying to address a few words to you. I can't wait to be with you again. And I'm hurrying the workers to finish the Alençon lace that several of them are still assembling so that they still need to wind up the various commitments taken there. I therefore hope that on Thursday we'll have the pleasure of being reunited and not parting company immediately. In fact, five days after this letter, he would arrive. And then to the, dear, to the various girls. Dear Marie, tell Petit Paulin, which is a nickname he has for Pauline, that her gold shells, she would do parchments and um, um, writing and that kind of thing, won't arrive before next Tuesday. I asked for three of them instead of two. As for your pins, I think they will be easier to find in Lisieux. The moss you mentioned can't be found in this season, but we will try to have some later on. That may be for Christmas decoration or some kind of decoration. Children, Pay attention to all your uncle and kind aunt's instructions. You are aware of the great sacrifices, and as we said, they were very great. I had to make to secure you their help and good advice. Therefore, don't miss a single opportunity to take advantage of it. You, Marie, my eldest, my first, you know how much I love you. And he always had a special love for Marie. 
Well, continue to devote yourself more and more to your sisters. Take care that when seeing you, they may have before their eyes a good model to imitate. Tell Leonie that if she continues being an absolutely good girl, in fact, Marie writes to her father, and she's astounded at how well Leonie is behaving. And she says we can only attribute that to the grace of the intercession of our mother. That if she continues being an absolutely good girl, I will certainly give her something that she will like on New Year's Day. Adieu, my dear children. I press you all to my heart out of love, and I entrust you to your Holy Mother, Votre Sainte Mère. That's that adjective that he always uses of her. And then five days later, he would be there. The family is established in Les Buissonnets, and the next stage of the life goes on, and which Therese will describe uh, in her story of a soul. Votre Sainte Mère, your Holy Mother your saintly mother. Fast forward then to October 18, 2015, and both Louis and Zélie are declared saints in St. Peter's. October 18, 2015. I guess you could say that our being together this weekend is part of that ongoing story. I think about it, uh, this woman who writes these letters would never, ever have dreamed that how many years later, that's uh, 1877, say 150 years later, that a group of people in the United States would be looking at those letters. You could have never dreamed of it. We never know the good we do. We never know how far it will go. So let's let's just pray the glory be. Can we, or do we have questions? Father Gallagher, which member of the Martin family do you most often have recourse to in prayer and why? But I, I can answer that uh, very um, e- easily, quickly. Uh, Therese and Leonie. Therese and Leonie, actually preparing this retreat is moving me to pray more to um, Louis and Zélie than I've ever done before. Hitherto, it's been Therese for a long time, more recently Leonie, and now I suspect the parents are going to come into it more. How would the Martine family prepare for Palm Sunday? How do you suggest we prepare our hearts for Palm Sunday? I can't refer to an individual letter or paragraph, you know, from uh, any of the writings on that. So I just would assume that from the general pattern of how seriously they lived the life of the church, which included Lent and everything with it, that they would have taken it very seriously. The fast would still be continuing. It would only end with Easter. Uh, they would have certainly been in church. And probably, did you notice how often uh, Zaylee refers to, I went to high mass? At that time, there was low and high mass. The low mass would be shorter, and the high mass would be sung and much longer. Probably they would have gone to a high mass with whatever ceremonies of Palm Sunday included were, were part of that. And then the rest of the day probably would have been family time together, maybe one of those walks or, or that kind of thing. So it would be very prepared. By the, with the way that they lived Lent, their hearts would be very prepared. How should we prepare for it? I would think the liturgy is the best way, you know, to uh, take part in the church's ceremonies, maybe review the readings and the ceremony ahead of time. When we're there in church, really live it from the heart. I always find that when we read the Passion, it's, it's a way in which you can accompany the Lord through the steps of his Passion. You might want to try to do that. Maybe we could read the Passion on our own if we have time, you know, at some point. 
Might not be a bad thing also. It's something that I haven't done every year, but some years I do. You take one of these movies of the life of Christ and watch it through Holy Week, maybe an hour a night. Sometimes in our communities, we've done that. Jesus of Nazareth, you know, that uh, the Zephyrilli film, which is really well done. And um, there are others now. And maybe uh, in various ways like that, just live Holy Week together with the Lord. There are many ways we can do that. Thank you, Father, for the shared intimacy of helping us to come to know this great spiritual father and mother. Together, they live the scriptures so well with integrating faith, hope, and an extraordinary supernatural love, a pair that gave themselves away until death, and now they still are giving to us and others. You've been listening to the podcast, which contains the audio taken from the Discerning Hearts Retreat, Hope in Difficult Times, with St. Therese and her family, with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this audio, or to view the video taken at the retreat, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app or on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese and her family with Father Timothy Gallagher.